Before the start of last week's podcast, I mentioned the unfolding crisis in war in Israel and tragic loss of life in both Israel and Gaza. I called for a moment of silence. Dozens of you reached out after this message, thanking me for a bit of forced reflection and raising awareness around an incredibly nuanced conversation. We are likely to see things get worse before they get better, and many of you have asked how you can help. Please, before you share any information or consume any information, take a second look at where it's coming from. The first casualty of war is truth, and there sure is a lot of propaganda out there. Like specifically going up to the 11,000 foot portion of the race where I was doing the most talking to the GoPro, where I was acknowledging that like, this feels so incredibly good. Maybe it won't at some point, but maybe, maybe this is how the day is gonna turn out. And once I vocalized that, I believed it. And as soon as I said like, maybe this is actually how it's gonna be, I was like, yeah, this actually, I'm gonna give myself permission to believe. Welcome to For the Long Run. We explore the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated, and how they've been able to achieve sustainable excellence. From Olympians to ultra marathoners and business owners, from the back of the pack and all the way to the front, we believe in creating community and expanding the running world for all. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt, and we're so glad you're here. We are proud to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast, Scratch Labs. Scratch Labs is a local Boulder-based sports nutrition brand known not just for their awesome sports nutrition products, but for their love of science and the community. I'll share a bit more about their products and how I use them. But for now, thank you to Scratch for supporting the podcast. Scratch will be a partner of the podcast this summer. And as always, supporting the brands that support the podcast helps to keep this machine rolling. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off all Scratch products through their website via the link in the show notes. As a New Englander, I'm always excited to see brands from the area who are doing good in the world and doing good for our running community. That's why we're thrilled to say that this episode is sponsored by Darn Tough, started, manufactured, and headquartered in Vermont. And they're still family owned, bringing us awesome socks to keep our feet feeling warm and dry. You may know of Darn Tough for their durability and warmth, but did you know that they have a whole line of running socks to keep you staying dry and comfortable for the long run? Darn Tough's running socks are incredibly durable, especially in high wear areas. They're made with breathable mesh, are ultra lightweight, and they're incredibly comfortable. You might be thinking, aren't their socks made of wool? Won't that be too hot on my feet? Well, it turns out that merino wool socks are perfect for keeping your feet at the ideal temperature and dry, regardless if you're running in the cold or hot weather. In fancy words, wool helps with thermoregulation. I've been a fan of and running in darn tough socks for years now, and we're stoked to work with them to bring great gear to you too. Get a pair of your own at the link in the show notes and be sure to use the code FTLR-BESTSOCK10 for 10% off. You know that a big part of my life is optimization. I optimize for time, optimize for efficiency, and try to always optimize for my health and training. That's why I'm so excited to welcome our newest brand partner, Two Before. But what's Two Before? There's natural sports nutrition supplement made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. These are the most researched berries in the world, and those studies are showing that these berries have exceptionally high antioxidant levels, and they're proven to enhance athletic performance. That's gonna be a hell yes from me. These wonder berries, which is what I'm starting to call them, improve endurance, help kickstart recovery, and strengthen immunity. What athlete doesn't want all of that? So how can you use these in your daily routine? I take a serving before every single run. So go ahead and try out some two before. The code FTLR will save you 30% on 20, 10, and multi-serve packs. 
And remember that supporting our brand partners helps to support the podcast as well. That's twobefore.com, number two before.com and code FTLR. Hey there, before we get into this week's interview, I'm gonna ask a small favor. If you could go to your podcast app and leave this show a review, it would be so greatly appreciated. The more reviews we have, the more we can expand our show and community to more folks like yourself. Thanks so much for being here. Now, on to the show. And welcome back. We have TJ David joining on the podcast for a bit of a different episode today. Um, TJ was a guest on episode 266, talking all about him. Um, TJ was out at Crested Butte Ultras this past weekend. Uh, TJ is a good friend and coach himself uh, with Microcosm Coaching. And we were talking about talking about the race I did. I ran 32 miles around Crested Butte. It was my first ultra. And we were doing a little debrief after the after the race or the next morning after some bagels, actually. And TJ was like, why don't we do a podcast? Let's, let's chat through this. Um, I had such a good day out there. Like so good that I want to understand more about it and sort of work through all of the the highs and and a couple of the lows, uh, but mostly highs and really understand how I and you as a listener can learn from a race that went really really well and understand what you know how we can grow and learn from such a thing. And so TJ's got a lot of experience in this space. He's a, like I said, he's a coach. He's a pretty accomplished mountain athlete as a skier and and runner himself. And his company, Microcosm Coaching, has been a sponsor of this podcast as well over the last couple of months. And they're going to come back as a sponsor again in December. Um, and we've gotten a lot of good feedback from that, from people who basically said, I didn't think I needed a coach or I didn't think I was good enough for a coach and linked up with TJ and, and his other coaches at Microcosm and changed their lives. So uh, TJ, that's much longer of an intro than I normally do. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to chat today and for your amazing support this past weekend and for the last few weeks, months, years. All right, TJ and I are having technical difficulties and I am hoping that we're good to go here. But anyway, we're diving in. We're talking about trying to understand how do you look at a race that went well or not well and unpack those takeaways. And so we're going to dive into it. Well, let me jump in for a second, because I think when you have a big breakthrough as an athlete or in any other kind of part of your life, right? Like you're often kind of like left in the aftermath of that being like, wow, like that felt amazing. How do I set myself up in order to experience this again? Because like, I like what I felt out there. And, you know, it's nice to also see the fruits of our labor kind of coming forth in in kind of a singular effort, you know, especially for athletes trained so much over and over again, repeated process, years of racing go into things. I think like your your personal history is super interesting when thinking about this breakthrough, you know, like you've had a lot of tough races that haven't quite like aligned. And um, so you finally have that breakthrough and you're, it's like that aha moment but then we're often like, oh, wait, but it's not an aha moment. Like, I don't know how exactly what happened. How do I set myself up to give myself the best possible opportunity for this to happen again at my next race? Yeah. And that's the piece that I, that I want to understand, right? So 
I finished the race and and I was like, I've never had anything go this well. I had a 5K that that went pretty well in 2014, and I had a marathon that went about as good as a marathon can go in 2019. That 5K was just under 18 minutes long, and you know you ride the the edge of the razor, and on that day I just didn't get cut by the razor. In that marathon, I was the fittest I'd been up until that point. My training was strong. My mental prep was great. And I was able to push down on the accelerator when things got really hard. And it was really only hard for like four or five miles. And that was less than a three-hour effort. And so with this 55K or 32-miler, like... I felt on top of the world for four hours. And I, I have a clip of myself talking to my GoPro and I was like, I'm two and a half hours in and I'm hitting my happy legs. I'm three hours in and I'm like, I'm, I'm scared of like what happens if this doesn't go as it's going. I'm four hours in. Oh my God, maybe I'm like actually going to give myself permission to like believe in the in the most incredible way that this could be my day. And so when I, when I finished, a couple hours later, I said to you guys, I was like, I was hoping to see you on the course at like mile 26 or 27 so that I could say like, guys, I'm having a perfect day. How do I not fuck this up? And, and what did you say back to me? I, was, I said, I think it was almost better that you didn't have us there to externalize that um, too, because in the end, you're, you're kind of, you're the one responsible for that effort, right? Like putting that, you know, externalizing that on, on supporters, I think it almost diminished the, um, the growth opportunity that you have coming after something like this. Yeah. So I I was having that thought at like four and a half, five hours and five hours hits. And I'm like, if it gets hard from here, and it like it was just starting to get hard at that point. Like when I say it wasn't hard, it wasn't that like it was easy. It was just like there was no acute, extreme difficulty. Like I was still running uphill at ten thousand feet, you know, in two and a half to four hours uh, along the way, and it was just like I don't know something I'd never experienced. So how do you how do you unpack that? How do you like? Take take that and externalize it and and carry those wins into into life. Yeah, man, I love that question because this is like something that I like to work on with my athletes because I think it's integral. And first, it's about understanding the experience that you that you had out there, and one taking time to integrate any learnings or insights that come from the experience. And I think this is where athletes often make big mistakes is they, they have a great day or a day that doesn't go as well or a day that's in the middle, whatever, however it plays out, they have their day. And then they don't have an integration process after. And specifically, like kind of what I mean by that is taking at least 48 hours before like going to your coach and being like, here are the things that went right. Here are the things that went wrong. Or, you know, before signing up for another race or before, I don't know, like even if you can, like even before like getting back into training or focusing on something big in another part of your life, like we often miss out on the important insights and learning that come from big growth moments like this or expressions of a lot of small 
growth moments that have added up into one cumulative moment, like, you know, a race breakthrough. That's kind of what that really is. And so if we rush the process to integrate into like, if we rush the process to get back into like life as we know it, back into the workflow, back into training, et cetera, we might miss out on some of those things. So like what I like to tell my athletes is like, take 48 hours, hit me up, let me know how it went. Tell me you got that breakthrough. But before taking any time to discuss like what went right, what went wrong, what do I need to improve on? Just kind of like sit with the experience and just think about it and let any insights kind of come up naturally. And then, you know, we can have a facilitated conversation or through email or text, whatever it is, we can then have a facilitated conversation to bring out some more of those insights. And I think that's probably what's relevant for you now about 48-ish hours or so after your race, because I'm thinking the wheels have been spinning a little bit for you and you've been thinking about like, okay, what's gone on? What happened exactly out there? What did I do that set me up for this kind of success, this kind of breakthrough? What was the internal and external environment that set the stage for that? And then how do I like get back into that in the next the next time I race? So I think like when I work with athletes on questions and in situations just like this, I kind of like to ask some questions and have the athlete build some awareness around the experience. And I think this is really unique to you, Jonathan, because like I don't have many athletes that kind of like carry a GoPro with them during the race and capture like they're kind of like um, brain dumps or something. Like it's like kind of like stream of consciousness, what you were thinking about, what we were feeling. And for the audience out there who's listening, like I got to look at some of those videos before this call and I thought they were really illuminating to some of the things that you were thinking about and provided some really interesting insights for us to talk about. Um, but I don't normally get that from an athlete, like, nor would I like necessarily recommend that. I think, you know, that's kind of like a really unique thing that seems to like work really well for you and your individual like personality type. But maybe to like kick off a little bit around like building some awareness around, you know, what really set you up for this externally and internally. Because we kind of want to to preface, like even to preface this even more, we want to build a mode of operating out of the things that went well for you out there. And then we want to be able to use that understanding and that mode and replicate that over and over to give you the best possible chance to enter into that mindset, that way of being kind of like, and it's really apparent in the videos, which is super cool. But we, if we have that framework, we can then start to develop habits, beliefs, things we focus on. Um, we can develop all of these things that help us get into that mode of operating before a big race or a big event or a big presentation at work or any, you know, any number of things. Uh, and that gives us a much better chance of executing at the peak of our potential or hitting our ceiling or however you want to describe it. So I'm curious, I'm sure the listeners are as well, what were your goals for the race? And I'm not your coach, so I wouldn't know these things, but I think it's important. Like, did you have process-oriented goals, a performance goal and an outcome-oriented goal for this or any of those? And if yes, what, what were those things? So my goals were entirely within my control which included explore a new place 
by foot, enjoy the fall foliage, and eat a lot. <laughs> and I feel like I nailed that. And so I I did the Boulder Skyline Traverse three weeks ago with my friend Zach. And as we were coming down Flagstaff, he was like, um, I realized I hadn't eaten in like 45 minutes. And he's like, man, you got to split your split your lap every time you eat. So you always have like a ticker of, of when the last time you ate was. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And so that made it really easy to to nail that piece. And to me, like that was 75% of why I felt so good because I was like appropriately fueled for six hours. I've worked with Kylie, who is a coach and dietitian. She's a coach through microcosm and a dietitian with her own clients. And I've worked with her on fueling strategies. I've worked with my friend Stevie Smith um, as well, a sports dietitian. And they both reiterated like more carbs per hour. And so I was doing like 25 and I, I bumped that up to 50 in this race. And I probably could have done more than 50 grams of carbs an hour, but that was where I was at. And then in terms of expectations of, of like tangible outcomes, I really had none. I knew that I was in a Colorado trail race and I was like, I was joking with, with Zoe on Thursday. I was like, yeah, I'd be pumped to like be in 50th. And, and so I found myself in 10th place, you know, four hours into the race. And then I passed a bunch of people and I was told I was in fifth place and I wasn't. <laughs> I was actually in 11th or 12th at the time and I finished in 11th overall and 10th male. But that that like lit a fire under me. And David, we have the same coach. David and I have talked a lot about like my RPE regulation or rate of perceived exertion regulation around running with other people. And it's just like, it's it's wild. And so I found myself in this competitive environment in in an environment where I didn't think I'd be competitive. And I was like, I want to run this guy down. I'm going to run up this hill. I'm going to catch him. I'm going to be faster out of the aid station. I'm going to keep eating. I'm going to keep executing. I'm going to stop now because there's a cow in my way and I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> and then I'm going to continue. And And so like, I had no expectations, but going into like marathons, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to run 257. I'm going to run 255, stuff like that, where I didn't. And so I wonder like how much of this is based on the year I've had, how much of this is based on not having tangible expectations. Like for for context, I, I took off half of February, March and April from like structured training. And I was doing like 25 to 35 miles a week. I wasn't, I was barely doing workouts and I was just like running when I wanted to. And this was something I had talked about with David and he was in full support. He's like, whenever you're ready, come back. I was just going through a lot of like life stress and running was not giving me what I needed from it. And it was contributing to stress instead of being like a therapeutic experience. And so I, I backed way off. Um, then I trained for Broken Arrow. Then I trained for a sub five mile, which was like way outside my wheelhouse. And then I paced you at Leadville, which was a freaking blast. Um, and then that sent me right into the training block for, for this race. So it's been like pretty wild going from like training, not at all, to training for a mile and then training for an ultra. Um, and I, I'm still like trying to understand just 
like what are the pieces from that process that to you as a coach are the the flags or indicators that like heading in the right direction or the way that I explained it or like what should somebody be taking away from what I'm like wh- how I'm presenting this context well that's a really broad question and I think that it, it's a good question um if listeners have listened to our our first conversation on the podcast together we actually talked a little bit about you were kind of going through like some growing pains with your relationship to running earlier this year. And we talked a little bit about that and how that's a really normal part of the process for anybody who is training, engaged in anything long-term. There are going to be a lot of ups and downs in the process. There's going to be periods where you feel motivated, some periods where you feel less so motivated, you know, your relationship to the training and the work is going to change. It's going to change all the time. And so, you know, really as athletes, I think that one of the key factors in, you know, determining whether or not a a breakthrough is going to come is, is like really in the perception the athlete has around like their actual training. So like, I feel like my running is getting better. I'm having more fun. Like I'm, you know, I'm running in areas that I've never run before. And that's really neat and interesting to me. I'm living the kind of life that I want to live. You know, some of these bigger questions, especially that last one, um, I think can kind of set both the external and internal environment and kind of lay the foundation for a breakthrough. You worked really hard to not necessarily change your relationship with running, but evolve your relationship with running in a way that kind of more or less fit where you were, where you were at at that moment and where you were moving towards and I think that continual process kind of got you to where you are. And though, like, as coaches, we always like, we look over the numbers, we see the workouts, we're like, mm-hmm, the athlete's doing X, Y, and Z, great. Like, that went really well, awesome. Okay, look at that, good stuff there. Um, and you can always have a sense, you know, it's more of a sense that like, ooh, a, a breakthrough might be kind of lurking behind the scenes, but it could take many races for that breakthrough to present itself. And we don't always know when that's going to happen. And I think that's the important part of some of the mental performance behind like a conversation like this after a breakthrough is like what really created the environment that made it more likely for that breakthrough, which was likely always lurking under the surface for a long time. It finally gave it the opportunity to come out. And I'm hearing a couple, like one really important thing, which is really interesting. You had a couple process oriented goals one was to like enjoy the the foliage so that to me that says look around enjoy where you are see where your feet have taken you and that kind of reflected in some of the little videos that you sent me like i was hearing a lot of like reflections of, around like oh look at this look at that like look at where i am you know like um and then that's really cool because that's keeping you in the present moment and you're not thinking so much about the outcome you're not you're not thinking as much about like, oh, how will I feel on this downhill? I'm kind of more engaged in the process of doing rather than thinking, you know, what's, what does this next mile hold? And so, you know, you had this really great, very tangible process oriented goal around fueling. I'm going to fuel 50 grams of carbs an hour and hit my uh, lap button every single time. And so like, I know how long it's been. So I know 
how often I have to fuel and like whatever the the fueling specifics were there. That's another thing that kept you really present and engaged in what you were doing rather than thinking about like, when is the other shoe going to fall off? I feel so good right now. When is it going to end? And so when we have a lot of these, what you said, controllables, um, which is exactly what process-oriented goals are, they're the goals that we're in control over. So for example, every time I pass a runner, I'm going to tell them what a great job they're doing. Or every time I go to an aid station, I'm going to thank every volunteer. Or every time I enter the aid station, I'm going to think I'm going to automatically know the two things I need to ensure that I get those two things that I'm not missing out on any fueling. Like there's many ways we can look at this, you know, another process oriented goal could be like, I'm going to hike every hill at a six out of 10 perceived effort. Like there's many things that we can control. And then there's a lot of other things that we can't. And the interesting thing about your reflection around like your process, performance, and outcome-related goals is you didn't have a performance goal. And I think probably your only outcome-oriented goal was, I'm going to assume here, is probably to finish the race. And so you did really lower your expectations significantly, which... You know, as a coach, I'm, I would generally probably advise against that for most folks, but I think for really specific reasons, because if we don't set a ceiling for ourselves, it's going to be a lot harder to achieve our potential. But for you, that kind of opened the door a little bit. And I actually had a follow-up question for you about that, because I'm so curious if you purposefully didn't set a performance or a specific outcome-oriented goal, like I want to be top 10 um, for yourself, if that was like a very... um, If that was a decision you made with David or you made on your own and if there was like some specific reasoning behind that. Yeah, I I just had no idea um, the context. Like I know numbers with road running and trail running is just so different. Like I was stoked to be running, you know, 9.30 pace, 10-minute pace uphill at high altitude. And to me, that was like, that was a win. And when I joked with Zoe, I was like, yeah, top 50. Like, I didn't know. And she was like, oh, yeah, you'll be top 20. And I, I honestly, like, had no no basis for for knowing where I would be. And so instead, I I focused purely on the outcome. And, and I even thought that I'd be like seven to eight hours and I finished under six hours. And so when I started doing the math, when I was 10, 11 miles in, knowing that like that was a third of the way and just multiplying by three and knowing like I was still on the hardest part of the course and not having come down, I was like, okay, if I multiply an hour and 45 by three, that's five and a half, whatever. It's less than six hours, which was like two hours faster than I thought the slow end of my run would be. And so I was like encouraged by the fact that my assessment of of like what I would be stoked on was like 25% faster. And so I was like reflecting on what David put in my log the day before, which was mentally get hyped for when it gets hard and try to keep running. You're capable of more than you could ever imagine. And races like this are an opportunity to explore that. 
And so every single time I was presented with a hill, I thought of what he put in the log. And I thought of the workout that I did with Matt Daniels last Tuesday, where I ran every step of Springbrook, which is a, a, a three-mile loop that like, I've, I'd never not hiked previously. I'd always at least stopped at least like three times. And we ran the whole thing. So I took that and I was like, okay, well, I didn't think I could do that. But Matt dragged my ass around that loop and I PR'd every single segment, having just PR'd every single segment like five days earlier um, on a solo run. And so I was like, what, what is the possibility here? Like, maybe I can run up this hill and keep running. And so then I was, I was passing people going uphill as they were walking and I was running. And, and these are like fit looking mountain dudes with like monster calves. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is going on here? And so some of the videos that you've seen, like I was talking to the camera, just like purely bewildered by the fact that I was continuing to pass people. And I was like, these all look like stout trail runners. Like they have beards and they have tattoos and they have, you know, all this stuff. And I was just out there passing them. Um, and it was like, I was like, what's happening here? I think that this is really important because as athletes and as people, I think we often get kind of stuck in, I call it uh, small vision syndrome where we don't really have a realistic understanding of what we're capable of. And we're kind of, we're really reliant on external factors, a coach telling us we're capable of more or a workout that like really goes right to show us like, oh, we are capable of a little bit more. And although that is really important, what we want to do is when we see, because you aren't, like you're not the you're you're not like the average of all of your Strava runs or whatever. You're not like your athletic potential isn't like the middle between all of the peaks in the valleys. Your athletic potential is represented by all of the times that you hit your ceiling. So when you nail that workout with Matt Daniels, you know, that is you expressing your athletic ability. When you nail the 55K in Crested Butte, that is really the expression of your athletic ability. And so we, as athletes, we're like not usually programmed to think of things like that. We think about like the things that we need to improve on, where we're not doing enough. Um, and it kind of ties into this mentality, the never enough mentality that I think most athletes are always struggling with in some way, shape or form. But we need to get out of that habit, right? So like what would help you would be to view everything through the lens of I'm the athlete that runs every single step of that tough workout with Matt Daniels. I'm the athlete that goes under six hours at a 55K. And that is my default. And I make and I create a default mode of operating a way of being around that rather than thinking about I'm rising to that. No, that's that's actually my ability. And I can go farther from there. I can tap different ceilings from there and then raise the level. And I think, you know, for you, the lack of expectations, what it did was, I, I would rather you get to this than me tell you what happened. I'm curious, every single time in those videos, you were, when you were sent them to me, you sent them to me, you were going up the hill 
And you were kind of reflecting, this is going to get harder. I know this is going to get harder. And I was thinking, this guy's waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm curious how much you leaned in to that and or how quickly you let that thought go. I let it go pretty quick. Um, the reason that I was... So I ran CIM last fall and I had like the most incredible training block ever. I was running paces and workouts that like were blowing my mind. I was finishing 22 mile runs in the mid 630s. I I could have like jogged four more miles on one of the days and run a 315 marathon, which would have been my second fastest marathon. Um, And what happened on race day, I like forgot about how hard it was. And I, I didn't respect the distance. Um, as our friend Peter Bromka says, the marathon doesn't owe you anything. And, and I did a podcast with Tina Mir um, a few weeks later, a few months later. And she was like, John, I could see that you were going to have a, a brutal race because you were forgetting what you know, which is the marathon is hard. And you were just expecting a good day. And so David put in the log, mentally get hyped for when it gets hard and try to keep running. And so when I read that, I like vividly remembered what Tina was saying. And I was like, I'm prepared for it to be hard. It simply has to be hard at some point. Like it's a long distance and I'm not, I'm not going at an easy effort. And, and so I was somehow able to both have that thought and be like, I am respectful of the distance. Yet at the same time, I'm so incredibly proud at how I'm executing that we'll see how long it goes feeling this way. And, and so I remember thinking, I was like, honestly, I could finish fifth or 10th or 50th or whatever. And I, I pictured myself crossing the finish line in that fifth position. And I was like, I'm going to go run and hug Kate. And the first thing I'm going to say is, I can't believe how perfectly I executed. And holy shit, what place am I in? <laughs> but like the intentionality around the the focus on the execution and the controllables. And then that like specifically going up to the 11,000 foot portion of the race where I was doing the most talking to the GoPro, where I was acknowledging that like, this feels so incredibly good. Maybe it won't at some point, but maybe, maybe this is how the day is going to turn out. And once I vocalized that I believed it and as soon as I said like maybe this is actually how it's gonna be I was like yeah this actually I'm gonna give myself permission to believe if you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today can you do me a favor can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review it helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too thanks so much We are proud to be sponsored by a local Boulder-based sports nutrition company that we all know and love, Scratch Labs. As you may know, last year I went to their facility here in Boulder and got a sweat test done. They were able to tell me how much salt I'm losing during a workout and recommend sports nutrition from there. Long story short, I'm a salty sweater and need to replenish perhaps more than the average person. But that's not all. About a year ago, I started working with sports dietitian Kylie Van Horn. Kylie is the owner of Fly Nutrition and a coach within Microcosm. I was having a lot of GI issues pre-run and during the run, so David, my coach, suggested I work on nutrition with Kylie. 
I switched my nutrition pre-run to purely liquid fueling, and while that didn't solve 100% of what I'd been dealing with, it sure has helped. Fast forward a year and more, and Scratch's products have helped kept me fueled and energized through plenty of strong workouts and long runs, as well as some big adventure days in the mountains. Their super high carb mix is exactly that. It's full of what you need and goes down super smooth. When you give your body what it needs, you'll truly enjoy it for the long run. You can grab energy bars, chews, hydration mix, recovery drink mix, and super high carb drink mixes for your big days from scratch to fuel your training and upcoming adventures. I use the lemon lime super high carb mix every single day. I use the half serving within an hour of all morning runs, and it's my main fuel source for road long runs. For trail adventures, I use a couple servings in my bottles and supplement that with the chews or other fun trail snacks. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off your order at the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Scratch for supporting the show. We're all constantly looking for ways to improve our performances. One thing we truly love about this community is our determination to always be getting better and go hard at whatever goals we may have. Our partners over at Two Before help us continue to grow and expand our athletic capabilities through their New Zealand blackcurrant berries. But John, how can berries from New Zealand help me improve my performance? I'm glad you asked, podcast listener. The thing that got me hooked was a meta-analysis I read of 16 studies on New Zealand blackcurrants that found a strong performance benefit with no negatives. Combining the blackcurrant powder with four to eight ounces of water or whatever liquid you prefer helps you increase your blood flow, make it more efficient for your body to pump that good oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood into your muscles, improving your endurance. It also helps to reduce muscle soreness and helps manage inflammation. I've also been using it to help keep my immune system riding high with all the trails, roads, and planes that I'm on. Go on over to twobefore.com to grab some for yourself with the code FTLR to save 30% on 20, 10, and multi-serve packs. Thanks again to the team over at Two Before for supporting this community. That's Two Before, number two before.com. You kind of reflected in one of the videos about that a little bit, which was which was cool and a nice insight to your to your thought process. But I think kind of what's coming through for me and what you what you mentioned is you kind of moved to a a mindset of curiosity, which is really the opposite of judgment. You know, when we're curious, we're we're in that space where we're more inviting to whatever could come up. Like you were alluding to this stuff is inherently hard. David was kind of alluding to that. And like, if the expectation is that it's going to come easy, we're probably going to have a bit of a reckoning so to speak, when that first challenge, when we're confronted by that first challenge. However, when we adopt a mentality that the challenges are inherent in the process and even inherent in the process of trying to find our potential athletically or professionally or as you know humans, when we understand that and make that part of our way of operating, we're much better able to deal with that so like, you know, in the video you sent me, you're hiking up that really steep hill and you weren't running at 10,000, you know, at 9,500 feet or 10,000 feet. You were, you were hiking and you were kind of just reflecting and just talking. And, you know, those thoughts were just kind of coming up and going away. And to me, I was hearing a returning to curiosity. Can I push the other side of that hill? Can I catch that guy? I think he's in fifth place. I think I saw him over there. Like, and that, is if we're going to have a dichotomy between judgment and what 
I would like to call flow state, which is kind of this other, probably this area that you were more or less, not, I don't want to put words on your experience, but it sounded to me like you were tapping into some of the things I've heard athletes tell me when they feel like they're describing a flow state. And so we have two, two opposite kinds of ends of a spectrum here. So we have judgment, which is like, am I going to, am I capable of this? Am I able to finish this race? Am I doing good enough? All of that stuff is going to be rooted in whether we feel like we're enough or not. And on the other side, we have flow, which is curiosity, connection, ease, peace, all of these different feelings and ways of thinking about things. And when you say, I'm curious about how far my legs can take me, I'm going to empty the tank, but I don't know if that's going to leave me two miles short of the finish or not. Um, you're opening up the possibility for, yes, adverse situations. But to me, I'm hearing like, although you didn't have exactly have any expectations, you were expecting there to be moments of adversity. You weren't um, necessarily setting yourself up for some kind of big fall because like you were thinking this was going to be easy. No, you were actually saying this is inherent in the process. I'm curious how one, I can work through it. Two, what that's going to look like. And three, maybe how that's going to feel. Um, and I think that is really integral. I and mean, if we're going to kind of bring the conversation back again to what I mentioned at the beginning of the call, where we have a big breakthrough, that is you know, not an anomaly. That is you expressing your actual athletic potential in the work that you've done over many years, many workouts, many races that have gone right and others that haven't. And when we say like, hey, this is actually where I'm at, these are the things that contributed to that. We create that, that mode of operating. And so extrapolating from what you told me, part of your mode of operating for race day could probably include something about curiosity and expectation around things being hard. That could be beliefs, things to focus on, way of operating, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that, that yeah. you know, we're starting to get into the nuts and bolts when we, when we touch on those things. Yeah, I love that. Um, it definitely turned into the curiosity aspect, um, particularly as the miles got up beyond 20. And it was just, it went from that, like, so we, we've, I can't remember, we've probably talked about imposter syndrome. And I've felt that. Like I'm a guy who has a podcast about ultra running and granted I have a lot of marathoners and track athletes on here as well. But like I talk to a lot of people who run hundred miles and beyond or a lot of hundred milers. And so like Lucy Bartholomew is staying at my house this weekend and we were talking before uh, or this week and before we left, I was like, yeah, this would be my first ultra. And she was like, what? And, and people just like assume that that I've run an ultra. And some of it is like, everyone goes around thinking everyone's thinking about them, but the reality is everyone's too busy thinking about themselves to think about anybody else. Um, but I've had this like experience where I've felt like some embarrassment or, um, you know, I'm doing the 26K at Broken Arrow because the 52K is like really, really far. Um, or something like that. Or it's like, I want to be social the, that weekend. So I don't want to be anxious about, you know, being totally depleted or whatnot. So it was, as, as I got from like 15 to 20, I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, 
this is a release. This is like, this is me fully believing in, as you said, not the the average of the highs and the lows, but like those killer workouts are what I'm capable of. It's not like a, a shocking performance. And so as time went on and as the miles went by and as I kept hitting split on the watch, you know, every 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, um, I got closer and I was getting closer and closer to the unknown and and something I'd never done before. And that was encouraging. And I wanted to to complete it and and check that box. And I was curious and like not, I was curious about how things would feel on the other side of the unknown. And the piece that gave me the biggest confidence boost in the actual run. So I'd been going back and forth with with this guy who I was I had been chatting with and then we're leapfrogging up one of the climbs and he he put some distance on me on one of the climbs and then as we had summited I think it was Teo Cali he was gone and I couldn't see him and then we poked out of the trails and I could see him and he was like way in the distance and I I was like he's like 4 minutes ahead or 3 minutes ahead I I I was guessing and I was like, I'm going to catch this guy. Um, and his name was John also. <laughs> um, nice. and, and, I, and I caught him and I got to the aid station before him. And at that aid station, they were like, you're fifth, he's sixth. And so that's where, I, that's where those numbers were coming in. Um, in reality, I was 11th and he was 12th in that moment. But um, I was like, I'm working so hard right now and and moving up the field and I'm 4 hours in and this is this is the unknown I don't I've never been here before and it was a mix of like what the hell is going to happen next and holy shit this is like really freaking fun and and I'm like still as you were saying still super engaged with looking at the foliage and I want to comment on the GoPro piece because again, I mentioned to Lucy that I did this recording and she's obviously a professional athlete who might not consider bringing a GoPro on her run of UTMB or something like that. But for me as like a hobby jogger who's out there doing it um, for my own reasons and and I love sharing the the journey and the process so much so that I carry this silly little thing, you know, 32 miles. Um, for me, it, it was adding so much joy to the run that like I couldn't imagine doing a race and not doing that. And the reason I brought it on the race is because I brought a GoPro when I did Rim to Rim to Rim in the Grand Canyon. And the moment that I remember the most is I was climbing out, you know, 40 miles in. I still had two miles to go. And I was like in the most discomfort I'd ever been in mentally and physically. And I was like, I still have like another hour to go. And so I'm trudging along at like one and a half miles an hour uphill. And I was saying, I was like, the only secret is keep moving forward. That's, that's it. That's the secret. That's anything in life, just one foot in front of the other. And so I like cemented that memory in my mind and I, I watched that video like, I don't know, maybe a dozen times a year um, because it's so fundamental to success at anything, right? One step in front of the other. And so I find that when I'm like 
I don't want to say like stripped down and raw, but like when nothing else matters besides forward progress, your mind goes to these things that clue you in to what you're thinking about, where your where your mind is. And as you said, like these are the important little insights and nuggets that give us guidance and direction on how we're thinking about ourselves and how we're thinking about what's going on. And I love the unfiltered content or video or speech. Um, my buddy in college used to say, uh, drunken words are sober thoughts. And so I'm applying the ultra version of that, which is things you say after 40 miles or how you or 40, four hours or whatever. That's how you really feel. And I love that. <laughs> So I record it. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a it's it's awesome. Again, like those insights are really really valuable, right? Like if we want to just briefly recap, you know, some of the important I think drivers of performance are part of your, you know, if we're going to develop a mode of operating around this kind of like a a way of being, you know, some of the things that really stand out to me were really evident in those videos, you know, the curiosity piece, uh, the joy piece, the process-oriented goals piece, particularly like what showed up in those videos was you really enjoying where you were and acknowledging where you were and what your body was capable of doing in those moments, even though there was a there was a little um, atmosphere of of like... I'm not fear. sure, yeah. you know, like if I've got it in the tank to keep this going the whole time, but like the, like the predominant messaging was like, well, I'm going to keep going to see, you know, where my limit is. And I think that's really in, important to think about when we talk about performance, because if we're constantly going to go into a race, one with expectations that are way overblown, we might think that things are going to be easier than they should be, or they are in actuality. And then we're going to struggle to deal with the challenge and the adversity. We're going to struggle to problem solve and to work, to work through the challenge. But also on the other end, if it's like we set really low expectations, we're probably going to fall to somewhere around where those expectations are set. And so like what you kind of did that overrode that was like you kept that curiosity piece going which was, you know, probably intuitive to you and part of the experience and a, more of a subconscious thing. But that, again, is kind of like we, we relate back to that dichotomy that I mentioned where we might have flow on one side and judgment on another. You know, in that dichotomy, the curiosity is much more advantageous, right? To me and, and with the athletes I work with and everything that I've uncovered you know, just thinking about that, oh, curiosity, it's, that's linked to all of these other thoughts and feelings that are much more positive and that don't hold us back as much. Rather than the judgment is always like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't think I'm good enough. And so on and so forth. So I think like, it, you know, if you really, if you really look at like the insights from that video and then what you just mentioned, which was really neat and interesting, and then apply that to like seeking potential, you know, we've got a lot of good information to work with. Like one, you really enjoy new challenges. Probably, you know, right? Like you enjoy new challenges. Yeah. That's why you did yeah. the mile thing. That's why, you know, you're trying, you know, you did this ultra. 
um, you're driven in a way by seeing, you know, what you're capable of outside of what you've already experienced and done. Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. Like if you want to set yourself up for more breakthroughs, you don't necessarily need to do new, new challenges. You don't necessarily need to one up yourself. Like I did 50 K now I need to do 50 miles. That's not necessary, but you should probably consider on organic uh, events, organic goals, some things that feel new and exciting to you. They could still be 50 K, but they're organic in a way that's like, Oh, that's, that's a bit new in this way. That's new in that way. Um, that's going to challenge me in a different way through this environmental factor avenue. Um, and I think that like, as you continue to like, think about what's next, which, you know, you might still get more insights and you definitely don't have to rush to more goals, but that could be really helpful because that's part of the environment that you were creating that allowed for the breakthrough. Um, I'm I, I'm still curious about a number of things. I'm curious, like leading up to the event, were you focused on anything else other than it sounded like being like process oriented goals? I want my outcome goal is to finish, and your the other third thing that you mentioned was like the inherent challenges in being present. How will I respond? Was there anything else that you were? focusing on thinking about i mean i jokingly said the faster i finish the faster i get to hang out with kate zoe and tj um that was like the only other thing that i was thinking of um yeah that that was it it was really just control what i couldn't control and really really enjoy this place that i had never been but heard that I mean, in the two weeks leading up to the race, probably 150 people had told me, it's the most beautiful place I've ever been. This race is stunning. Enjoy it. And so I went into it like, oh my God, the weather is perfect. Um, the the foliage is peak. And like, this is best case scenario. So go enjoy it. And And so it's really hard to replicate those components because that is so far outside of your control. You can't like the next day it rained it rained the next day, but that day it was it was absolutely perfect. But it was a little cool. Let me stop you there because I because you're talking about controlling what you can control and how important enjoying it is and like the joy part of this is for you. I'm curious, like what are the the things that help you experience joy? Like what are the thoughts, the beliefs? I love I love running hard downhill. I love like beautiful scenery. I, I love single track um, and, and non-technical trails. And 97% of that course was all of the above. Um, there was a, a little piece of technical trails where like five people passed me and then I passed them right back once it, it got smooth again. And it was truly just like, if I could dream up the perfect course, it was this one. Um, and so like one, in one of the videos I, I was saying, I was like, okay, we're four hours in and I'm approaching my favorite type of running, which is smooth downhill running. And so I was like, this course is my course. Like I'm out here and it's perfect. 
And so again, like some of it, I, I, I chose the course because of these variables and you can certainly do that. Um, but I didn't necessarily know it was like that idyllic when I signed up for it. I just saw like a bunch of nice photos in a meeting I was having with Scratch. And I was like, I actually can't pay attention anymore because I'm, I'm looking at the, these beautiful photos. Um, and so the other thing is like the, <laughs> the fueling, right? So Scratch was a sponsor of the race and they're a sponsor of this podcast. And so I didn't have to think about fueling and I didn't have to carry a ton of stuff. And so like I found a race or, or this race was about as logistically simple as possible because all I had to do was be ready to run six miles at a time with what I was carrying or 12 miles between 12 and 24. And, and so like the, the processing aspect of, oh, how am I going to carry this? How am I going to do that? Like all of it was removed. And so maybe a takeaway is like nail your drop bags and have great crew if you're running a hundred miler. Um, but for me, it was like a catered long run and it was everything that I knew. And I didn't, well, I actually did try new things. I ate a meat stick at hour five. <laughs> uh, shout out to consuming protein in longer events. Highly recommend six to eight grams of protein after four hours. This recommendation is approved by both of the dietitians I talked to uh, about doing this or who recommended it to me. Um, but like logistically, it was as simple as possible. And so to me, like joy is moving about in the environment in a way that is smooth and flowy. The views are good. I, I love snow, so it doesn't matter if it's like hot or cold. I like the hot, the, the heat too. Um, but just like moving about nature and exploring new places and like lots of runnable single track. And that's what this race was. And again, if we want to have more experiences like this in the future, you'd be wise to consider choosing races that have some of these ingredients baked in and check some of those boxes for you. Because like a lot of what you described in there in describing joy, you're like, okay, hard, smooth downhills, like beautiful scenery, single track, non-technical trail, logistically simple, um, moving about in nature. And, you know, like all of these cool things that for you, for, you know, kind of personify the joy factor are really descriptors of like flow state in my mind. And I think that it's almost like in ultra running, we want to say, well, if we remove all of those barriers, if it's logistically easy because they have scratch products at the aid stations, then like, is it really an ultra? Am I, is it hard enough? Like, do I get, is it, do I, am I deserving of the result that I got? And that's bullshit. Um, and so like, I think that you, to set yourself up for breakthroughs, put yourself in the situation you most want to be in to find that flow state, what you most attribute to previous flow states in training in other races. Like, why not keep it logistically simple? Like as a runner myself, I want to feel good out there. So I'm going <laughs> right. to sign up for races that help facilitate that for me. Um, and that is a good thing. And so as runners, we get to decide through experience what we like, what we don't like, what we you know, really works for us, what doesn't. And then we can choose, because there are so many amazing races out there, we can then choose the circumstances by and large when, of 
and environmental factors in which we race. And though, although you almost mentioned, well, if it rained, I don't know, like I sensed a little trepidation and I was like, well, you could still experience joy even if it had rained out there. And like, although the beautiful day and all of that added to your experience, I think that the, you know, taking that a step further and being like, well, I don't necessarily need the weather to be great to experience joy. You know, I don't, you know, what I, what I really need is something that's more logistically simple. I think I like smooth downhills, you know, that's what I need. I want to just be moving around in nature. You know, that helps me feel connected and to find the flow. Um, that helps me to be in a state of curiosity rather than judgment. Um, and so, you know, the more we think about these things, like I think the more you're going to have an idea of like, oh yeah, like how do I set myself up for that next breakthrough? Um, well, the environmental factors matter a lot. You know, the types of trails. What do I like? What don't I like? I thought, you know, those reflections, obviously, you know, they really stand out to me because they were like, to me, I was like, boom, Jonathan was experiencing flow out there. And when you were questioning yourself and whether what you were capable of, you know, that's, that's normal. We're going to dip in and out and have those thoughts. And those thoughts are going to always be arising. Um, but, you know, being able to get back into that state of curiosity is also really, really key. I'm going to ask you another follow-up. I'm curious if like you were holding on to any specific like beliefs about yourself as an athlete, um, about your previous race experiences, anything like at all like that, that you were kind of like holding on to and you took with you into the race. Yeah, I think the mile that I raced in July was really helpful. Um, I pick up a lot of these nuggets from different people and I love Boulder because of all of the amazing people that I find myself around, which is not to say like, that's not possible in other places or I didn't experience it in Boston, but I've just been more intentional around it in, in Boulder. And so like, I, I was very intentional about how I facilitated my last workout prior to the race, which I ran with Matt Daniels. Matt's like one of the fittest athletes out there. And he's also a coach and he's very smart about running uh, in regards to running. And so we did this, we did this, you know, tempo together on trails, which I've always been sort of like allergic to or scared of because I don't know my potential in, on trails. Um, and I don't know what I can do. And sometimes I back off too early. And so Matt was commenting on like how powerful that mile block was for like speed development and running economy and like all of the, the fundamentals of, of running and like the video you took of me finishing, like I looked like I was finishing a 5k. It was crazy. Um, anyway, so I, I took that again, I was super intentional with wanting to run with Matt. He's a good friend, but like, I was also like, I'm going to get value from this experience and he enjoyed it too. Um, and so I went in, I went into the race knowing that like I had just come out of this block where David pushed me in ways that I've never been pushed before or or not since probably 2014 when I was training for 5Ks in particular. And knowing that I carried that, and Matt commented on this, like carried that that speed into the trail build 
he was like, man, you're going to crush this race and, and set up for success. So like I went into the race a bit more confident in myself than I'd ever been because people I respect a lot were telling me that I was ready. And that like self-belief is one thing and I'm still trying to figure out how to curate that to where it should be. But everything that David, like the amount of exclamation points and capital letters and words that David has been putting in my log in the last two weeks has been like on another level. And so my takeaway from that is like, I was very prepared and he was very stoked. And, and so I'm, I'm like internalizing this external feedback, which is potentially dangerous, but also potentially useful. I don't really know. Well, um, let me, let me stop you. Cause I want you, I want to, to hear you reflect more on the belief. What is the belief that comes out of working on speed work and it, you seeing that translate over to the trails? What's the belief there that you just yes. developed? So like the race itself, that was like the most pain I'd been in physically in, in a sporting event ever. And I went through it and it was over. And I was like, damn, the next time I do something hard, it won't be as hard because, because of that. And so that's like a fundamental or like a tangible takeaway of like, you did this thing, it was hard. The next thing is not as hard. I believe that I can do harder things. It's like how Courtney DeWalter talks about how every time she enters the pain cave, it mysteriously gets bigger. Um, and so my belief coming from that speed block was I set this crazy big goal and I got pretty damn close to achieving it. And, and I thought when I committed to running a sub five mile, I was like not close to doing it. And then in the race, I ran 522. And then in Boston, I ran five flat. Um, and that was like a six week build. And again, it was just like, I took a swing, I missed, I took another swing and I got pretty damn close. And what I was fueled by for taking that first swing was like how many people told me they took a swing of their own because of this big public thing that I did. And so to me, that's like, that's the whole point. Like if some average Joe can go and do something bigger than they think they can do, that's wonderful. And so like I was talking with Lucy earlier, I was like, it's really cool to be able to see this kind of progress in running because I, I kind of sucked as a baseball player and hockey player growing up. And I was never really good at the skill sports, but the sport that basically rewards consistency, like you can control consistency. You can't really control like the ability to, to, to puck handle or, you know, hit home runs or be a great outfielder or pitcher or whatever, unless you're like genetically gifted and hone your craft with 10,000 hours of, of, of work. And whereas with running, like you, you can just be good for a long time and cool stuff happens. And so again, my, my takeaway and like the piece that fuels me the most is the number of people that reached out and they're like, yeah, like I'm going after a sub five mile too. And I'm 48 years old and I haven't done this in 20 years. Or like, I'm going for my first 10 K or I'm signing up for that thing. And like that fuels me. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about that acutely as I was running 
on Saturday, but I'm sure it was it was in the back of my head and I'm sure that I was thinking about it subconsciously that like, again, that's why I am such an oversharer on social media and like talk so much about my own experience on the podcast because I think that if you share these things, then other people feel a little more um, along for the ride or able to do it themselves and and this kind of stuff, which actually leads to something I wanted to ask you, which is in regards to microcosm. So again, microcosm, a coaching company that um, that you started and you're a part of. Um, I got a note from a podcast listener who signed up for coaching with one of your coaches and their feedback was like, I never thought that I was good enough for a coach or that coaching was right for me. And it's totally changed my, like, it's going to be such a huge win for for me and my life, let alone my running. Um, and it's it's crazy that like conversations like this can lead to someone being inspired to like bet on themselves or believe that they're worth something, they're worth investing in, you know, spending time and money on developing yourself. And And to me, I love that, right? The last conversation I ever had with my grandfather was uh, the point of life is to leave the world a better place than when you entered it. And it's, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. Let's just be better so that other people can be better and inspire other people to shoot their shot and this and that and use, you know, whatever metaphors you want. So ultimately, my question is like, we were talking in Crested Butte about the runners that you're hoping to work with, which are those people who are like, you know, the 95% of the running community who doesn't have a coach who's like, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I'm not worthy kind of a thing. You have these conversations with a lot of people and um, whether it's in the training logs or coaching calls or emails or whatnot, what would you say to someone who's like, damn, I love this 70 minute conversation that these two guys just had. Um, I'm not as serious about running as they are, or maybe I am. And maybe I want to, you know, I don't know what to do. Like, what do you say to that person who's made it this far in the, in the podcast? So thank you. Um, what do you say to that person? You know, it's, it's going to be really individualized to be quite, I don't have like a a blanket statement, but I, I would probably, you know, start somewhere around, you know, what are their, what are their thoughts and beliefs? around around running um, and kind of try to, you know, walk them through a similar exercise that I've just done with you, where we start to try to uncover some of the things that lie underneath the behaviors, the way we view ourselves, um, all of that stuff. Because I think when we start to bring that to the surface, then we can start to realize, okay, well, why, why don't you think you're, you know, you're a good match for coaching? Uh, well, running is an individual sport, so you know why you know why bring someone else into it. Well, you know my response to that might be, well, you need to dream bigger, and here's a litmus test for whether what you're dreaming about is big or not. What if it's big? It requires help. If it doesn't require help, you need to dream bigger. You need to literally dream bigger. Like something you think you can accomplish on your own, that's a small thing when we really zoom out and think about it. Big stuff requires inner transformation. It requires help. It requires developing a new focus, new beliefs, all sorts of stuff that are integral in that process. And like, that's why you want to have a coach because they can help 
facilitate that for you and help you grow into that and give you the, some of the motivation, whatnot. Why you might want to have a community involved in that is because when you have examples of other people who are going after it, who aren't afraid to dream big or are scared but are doing it anyways, and you see them go after it, maybe they swing and they miss. Maybe they you know, hit a home run or a grand slam like you did this weekend. Um, you know, that is motivation. It's collective motivation. And when everybody's involved in that process, you do, the tide does raise all the boats um, and it's incredibly motivating. And that's kind of what, that's what we have going on at Microcosm, which makes it so special. When you see it, other people are involved in the process in the same way you are on in parallel ways as you, you're motivated. You're more motivated to stay on track and to stay consistent. And so, you know, like for me, I look at all of our athletes when we do our rad weekend updates and, and round up like all the accomplishments for a week. And I'm an elite athlete and have been a professional athlete. And I'm like, wow, by God, like look at all of this endless stoke, you know, that I get to take away from this. And it really does perpetuate the process forward for me. And it does for the other athletes too. And it's the same with the struggles and the failures that are inevitable and inherent and part of this process and have to be normalized. You know, what you were mentioning earlier, which I thought was so important, and we were really touching on almost like a, a belief that was coming up for you with regard to what motivates you. It's doing things that are challenging to help show other people that they can do it too. And it's okay if you swing and miss, and it's okay if you swing and get really close and still miss. And I think that is one of the defining parts about working with microcosm is we normalize that. And it's not just through a coach, it's through a community. That means hundreds of people are normalizing that with you and are helping you along the way to feel better about those misses. Because we're often as athletes afraid to develop a mindset that allows us to go out there and swing freely every time because of the fallout from a big miss. I feel shame. I feel guilt. It hurts me, my ego. It, what are the perceptions that other people have of me when I go for it and it doesn't pay off? We have all of those thoughts and those feelings, that stuff and more come up for people and it makes them afraid to go for it. And I want to be the voice of reason and be like, no, that's what you want. Like you want to swing and realize you're okay if you don't make it. Like you are amazing. You're whole and complete just how you are with or without that stuff. And so yes, you should go for it and invest in yourself. And that's integral in the process, like the investing you know, you have, you know, as an athlete, you have to make a financial investment. You determine, you know, how committed you are by how much you pay for coaching and or how much you pay for events or whether you're able to fly here or there. And yeah, there are some barriers to that. And a good co coaching organization will work with you in regard to that. But in the end, you know, you, you demonstrate your commitments in many different ways. And like, if you're an athlete who just doesn't think you need a coach, I personally, I'm going to call you out and say, well, you're not committed. You're just not as committed as you say you are to the process. If you really want to grow and you really want to pursue your potential, you, ha you have to have help. It's too big of a thing to explore your potential to not have people help you in it. Um, and that's where I think like the everyday athletes get wrong is they just kind of like trivialize what they're doing. Um, and I think it's a big thing. 
And that's why I have a coaching organization because I want to be there to support people in discovering that and then finding where their potential is in that process. Amazing. TJ, I could go for many, many more hours on this and we probably will. Um, Zoe and I were talking about how we all first met. And I think the story goes that uh, it was as simple as David saying to Zoe and I, hey, you two would be good friends. You should meet (laughs) in like 2018. And uh, so David, I know you're listening to this. Thank you so much for uh, everything you do and the connections you make and the community you've built um, and your intense belief in hundreds and thousands of people. We're both coached by David um, and the amount of like self-belief that it has been built in that process has been outstanding. And TJ, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I think the point of running, as you said, is, or what I love about it is taking big swings and inspiring other people to do the same. But at the same time, taking these lessons and learning how what we've done playing in this sandbox enables us to take those lessons from this harmless thing we we like to do and bring it to life and bring it to work and relationships and family and friends. And just like, we're all so much better because of what we can do with our bodies. And what a what a gift that we found running and we found this community. Um, so thank you all. Thank you for all you do to, to create that community and create those outcomes so that people can learn and grow. Um, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? Uh, microcosm-coaching.com. You can email me directly at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com or microcosmcoaching at uh, Instagram. We're, we're on social media. Follow us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Honestly, we have a podcast called The Microcast and it's great to get feedback from folks. Um, helps us steer the conversation and, and hit the stuff that matters. Cool. TJ, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jonathan. Talk to you soon, buddy. Good to see you. Sounds good. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 